welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another Clean Technica Roundtable discussion. I am Joe Boris here with Zachary Shahan and the great Steve Hanley. And uh, today we're going to be talking about basically electric cars, because that's what we talk about in these things. But we're going to specifically focus on the kind of explosion of BEV sales overseas in China, in Southeast Asia. And, and just the numbers there are just so staggering. And then after that, I'm not going to give too much away, but we're going to talk about a car that we've all been waiting for, uh, particularly Steve, for the, at least the last 10 years. So uh, Zachary, why don't you lead us off with some of the numbers? Yeah, a non-car car. We'll, we'll just tease it a little bit here. But, a a yeah. non-car car. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we have China and Europe have been exploding in BEV, BEV sales. That's fully electric vehicle sales, which actually are deliveries sales. We don't really know. That's what, you know, people buy, order a car. And we, you know, it's not until it's delivered that it's really what we call a sale. So that's, but that's what we're critical, doing. right? Because yes, we're, we're I talking mean, about, I mean, we'll get to this in a minute. And I'm, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, you know, we talk about these companies like Rivian has 50,000 pre-orders and, you know, Tesla has however many, you know, 100,000 pre-orders for their Cybertruck, but that's not a sale. No, no, no. And I mean, a sale would be like a full, like you've paid the full price for the vehicle. Yeah. And we don't really, nobody puts that data out there. What we get is the delivery data. When people have ordered a an EV these days, it often takes a year to get it. So it's like we're not really seeing the current demand. We're seeing basically whatever all the automakers are able to supply because it's like nobody is nobody is <laughs> having to find customers. They're all they're all overpacked with customer demand and lack of supply. But with that sort of context, just making sure everybody's on the same page, let's look at the deliveries, recent deliveries of fully electric vehicles. And we, we recently got, you know, basically first half of the year, a number of interesting automakers. Of course, you have Tesla at the top with uh, 564,000. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. In the first half of the year. That's so a they sold over half a million full electric vehicles. And somewhere, <laughs> yeah, so somewhere below that, we have 217,000 from Volkswagen Group. So, you know, not half, you know, not quite, but not quite half as many, maybe about, you know, you could say 40%. No, but that's Volkswagen Group. It's important to notice Volkswagen Group is not just Volkswagen. It's Volkswagen, Audi and Porsche. Yeah. And go ahead. We we can get to the other. Well, I'll just give a little more context. So you have Xpeng and Neo are full electric, smart electric vehicle startups in China that are doing very well there. And they've, Xpeng had almost 70,000 for that time period and Neo 51,000. So together about 130,000. And then there's also BYD, which is an interesting case because they sell a lot of, they still sell a lot of plug-in hybrids, but they, they're also selling a lot of full electrics. We'll come back to them maybe later in the show, but basically they're, they're up there consistently in the in the top of the market but let's go ahead and focus a little bit on volkswagen group so steve or joe one of you can jump in and talk about sort of you know how they've gotten from 
you know, diesel gate to 217,000 full electric vehicles in half a year? Well, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a long process, right? So, you know, Dieselgate, for those of you who don't remember, Dieselgate was a, essentially there was a software device that would de- detect when the vehicle was in dyno mode. Dyno mode is the, the mode that the vehicle operates in when it's being tested, when they're doing, you know, EPA testing and they're doing DOT testing and they're telling you how much horsepower a car gets or how much miles per gallon it gets. They don't drive these things out on the highway with somebody going, well, we put in $20 and that was 200 miles ago and gas was 489 a gallon. Like they do this on a, a rolling test bed called a dyno. And when these vehicles were being put on a dyno without any kind of software mode telling it that it was on a dyno, it would freak out because the wheels would be spinning at different speeds. The GPS wouldn't indicate the traveled speed. So there was a lot of systems in there that would throw errors and throw codes. So to turn all that off, there was a mode you could put the car in and it would say, okay, the car's in dyno mode now. So you don't have to worry about the anti-lock brake system freaking out or any of that. It's just going to run the engine and, and the transmission and drivetrain. And that's just going to give you your results. And as you put the car into that dyno mode, the engine software would lean back the fuel, would kick on a secondary air pump to essentially re-clean the exhaust emissions, and it would pass the federal emission standards. And what eventually happened was somebody was trying to do a real world test and compare it to the EPA's numbers. And it wasn't anything nefarious suspected. It was just trying to verify the data And of course, you can't drive the car all over the place in dyno mode, or these guys didn't know that. And they got really, really different numbers. And that was kind of what led to everybody looking into these diesel vehicles and the engine control software that was there and discovering these emissions cheat modes. And it wasn't just Volkswagen, right? Yeah, I I was not really thinking to go into the deep history of diesel. (laughs) Well, you said, how do we get from diesel gate to here? So because, this is, I mean, the, this yeah. is how it works. <laughs> I was just thinking they were basically at like, they had no EV program. I mean, they had a very limited EV program. Right. And out of Dieselgate, yeah, they, they got a very strong focus. I don't know, Steve, do you want to talk about the launch of their, now that Joe gave the background on Dieselgate, which was very good summary, off the cuff summary of Dieselgate. I was like, that's- You're impressive. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's not what I was expecting, but that is a very good- off the cuff summary of Dieselgate, Steve. Steve, do you want to jump in with sort of how Volkswagen Group spun itself out of that trauma and that scandal? I know you've you've covered it all all along the way. Yeah, Zach. Basically, the answer is Howard Dice. Is, is that the right name? The CEO of Volkswagen. Oh, Herbert, Herbert Dice. Yes. Herbert Dice. Howard Dice. Yes, Herbert Dice. Howard is probably one of his deep relatives. I don't know. Yeah. Herbert Dice was a senior manager uh, at BMW, and he got hired away by Volkswagen. And he got hired away with the express purpose of making Volkswagen an electric vehicle company. And that he has done his job exceptionally well. He's stepped on a few toes. He's made some enemies on the VW board. He was originally hired to be not only the CEO of Volkswagen Group, which includes Audi, Porsche, Skoda, and uh, Man, and Scania, and companies. 
Sayat uh, Kupra. Yes, and he um, last year he got he got slapped around by the board because he made a statement saying that the manufacture of electric vehicles was going to lead to a decrease in in manufacturing jobs of 30,000 workers. And that got the Works Council very upset. And there was a a huge confab that involved all of the muckety-mucks at Volkswagen. And they stripped Dice of his role as head of Volkswagen cars and left him in charge of Volkswagen Group. But what Dice has done, I did an article recently that said that Dice was the one who put the idea in the head of the CEO of Cattle, C-A-T-L, to start producing lithium-ion batteries for electric vehicles. Wow. Cattle is the biggest EV battery producer in the world, Chinese company, and they are critical to where we are today in the EV transition. Joe, can you, is it DICE or DICE or something else? Do you know? You're going to ask the Spanish kid how to do a German pronunciation? Oh, you, you, you're in the industry more than either of us. Yeah. I, I, I think I, it's, I think it's DICE. DICE. Dice? Yeah, I, I think it's Dice, but I, you know, everybody said Dice with such confidence. I'm, I'm going to roll with it. I think it's just, oh, you're going to roll. Oh, look at that pun. I'm going to roll with it. Yeah. No, I was getting I confused about him talking about Dice. I was like, what Dice are you talking about? But that's how I pronounce it in my head as well, Dice. But I think you're correct. German would be probably Dice. But uh, if, you, if you ask somebody who speaks German, they would probably tell you we're all wrong. Yes, exactly. And Ben should have been on this call with us. <laughs> Yeah, let's call. get let's call ignore best. the german guy <laughs> yeah anyway yeah that's a good yeah, that's a fascinating and, it, and it's a little bit like it was a little bit there was a point in time i think last year where it looked like dice slash d slash uh, herbert let's call him herbert where it looked like herbert might get totally kicked out of volkswagen group because a lot of unhappy people and he sort of became like one of the biggest tesla fanboys out there <laughs> he was very big on highlighting Tesla's leadership and bringing Elon into like internal uh, manager Volkswagen group manager meetings and stuff. And it was, that's kind of, right. There he was, was conversation whole, about bringing Elon oh, he, Musk. He brought him in. One. Yeah. They had a big meeting with these like global meeting with managers across the company. And, and Elon was the special guest who was there to like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, talk about what they should be doing and Pat Herbert on the back and, you know, you know, they had a kind of bromance going. And I, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was a good call. I think it was a smart move. It was a little bit funny at times and very risky, I would say, but he, he's mostly come through. I mean, he lost the CEO position at Volkswagen cars, like you said, but I think he's done well. And he's, I think his, his vision of electrifying as fast as possible has, has been a struggle to convince the rest of the company of, but he's done a pretty good job of pushing it through. Steve, do you have any more words on that? And then Joe, jump in with that kind of transition statement. Well, he he um, sees the entire transition to electric vehicles as being just a part of an entire ecosystem of reducing the emissions associated with producing automobiles. Uh, just Just noticed the other day that since 2017, all of the electricity that is used to run the Zwickau factory, which is where the, uh, the main uh, factory um, in the state of Saxony is that manufactures the ID3 and the ID4, uh, all of the electricity is, is sourced from renewable sources. Some of it is on site, 
and some of it is uh, the, what they, they have contracted for with the local grid operators. But they have absolutely made a commitment to lower the total lifetime emissions, uh, as we say, well to wheel. Everything that goes into making the car, everything that goes into driving the car, and looking to the future of what happens at the end of life when the car is no longer useful, recycling its essential components so that they can be reused and, and put back into making new automobiles. It's really, he's a visionary. Uh, visionaries often uh, run up against uh, objections from people who are more realistic and say, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And he is absolutely laser focused on his mission. And he is going to be the head of Volkswagen Group until somebody in the management or ownership group says we've had enough of this guy and kick him out. But it looks like he's there to stay. And Steve was, yeah. Steve was in that factory, by the way, and may have gotten some free cheese and stuff. I don't know. But for the launch, the, the started production of the ID3, Volkswagen ID3. But uh, Joe, jump in. you got some great comments here. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I like about Dees is he understood when looking at the overall Volkswagen group, he understood that electric cars are a premium market play. In other words, electric cars succeed with the mainstream audience and with that that mass adoption group. Not when you talk about environmentalism or efficiency or cost savings, but they really succeed when you talk about how EVs are better. And Deese understood what Tesla did. He understood what Elon Musk did by building a car that was, you know, for that higher income bracket, for that higher level of, you know, spender and vehicle enthusiast that was willing to be an early adopter. And he's letting those costs trickle down and, and bring that down in a, like a just a standard Rojets, you know, diffusion of innovations type marketing curve. Where, you know, when you see like the Nissan Leaf play or the original Mitsubishi Aimeev, that was a completely different type of play. And Deese understood that. And that's why he led the charge to electrification with Porsche, with Audi, with Bentley, with, you know, the Bentayaga plug-in. And now they're announcing their first new full battery electric. Those are the, the high-end brands that people aspire to that people look at and go, man, that's what's cool right now. And by making those things electric, you know, you don't build, you know, what's his name? Bob Lutz said something great in the 90s. He said, we don't build Dodge Vipers to sell Dodge Vipers. We build Dodge Vipers to sell Dodge Neons. So these electric Porsches, that's what's driving that desire and that marketability and that branding of the ID3s and the ID4s. I think it's just brilliant. I like that. I like the way you, you worded that. Bob Lutz, he said something great in the 90s. <laughs> the guy's like 150,000 years old and unlike Steve Hanley. Since the 90s. Not... Yeah, Steve continues to be relevant. Bob Lutz does not. Anyway, yeah, that's. I think that's a great intro on what Volkswagen has done. So now let's look at the numbers. So the numbers which Steve and I both recently reported on is that Volkswagen Group EV, BEV sales were up 27% year over year which is not really spectacular in the first half of 2021 versus the first half of 2020, but it is growth and it does put Volkswagen Group's BEV sales at 217,000. I looked up BYD and we don't have June's numbers yet, but it looks like the total for the first half of the year should be a, a bit more than 300,000 for BYD for full electric vehicles. So you have Tesla at 560,000. BYD at maybe a 310,000 and Volkswagen Group at 220,000. 
So while Volkswagen Group is not nearly at Tesla's level or even BYD's level, it is selling, you know, a decent portion of BEVs and it's introducing new models and ramping up capacity and getting hopefully more batteries from from cattle. So where are we going into the future with Volkswagen Group, do you guys think? And I'll let uh, Steve start here. Well, I think one interesting thing is that they are focusing more than other companies other than, well, Anna, with one caveat, and I'll get to that in a minute. They are focusing on the less expensive um, vehicles, particularly uh, the, the, the SEAT brand that's, uh, and the Cupra that are built in Spain. They've made major commitments to build new battery factories and manufacturing facilities in Spain although there was a little bit of arm twisting there. Uh, Herbert uh, went there, well, I think it was about eight months ago and basically threatened the Spanish government, if you don't give us some subsidies, we're not gonna build these factories and they're really important for your, uh, for your manufacturing base. And the Spanish government said, okay, you can have the money. And they followed through and they're building there and they're gonna be building cars that are uh, more affordable than uh, uh, most of the other companies that are that are uh, building cars today. And the caveat I wanted to mention is that GM, which is not a company that we generally have good things to say about, is in fact building cars for people that can uh, not necessarily afford the Volvos and the Hummers and uh, the, the Ford F-150 Lightning and the new Chevy uh, Silverado EV. The new Blazer is supposed to be introduced today. We don't have official pricing on it yet, but it looks as though it's going to be somewhere in the vicinity of the lower 30s, which is, you know, half the price of a, uh, of a Tesla Model Y. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I think that's worth bringing up as well. And, and I wonder how that's going to play out because a lot of this comes down to, you know, the hardware that's involved, right? So even though you're talking about GM with the Ultium base or Volkswagen with the MEB or even Hyundai with their new platform, you know, you're looking at 800 volt architectures, but also 400 volt. And that 400 volt system seems to be where a lot of these affordable cars live. And it's a little bit slower charging time, but again, you're, you're kind of making that trade-off. You're saying it's going to be less money, but we're going to have to give up something. But I, I do agree with you on all counts. The only thing that I might, and I wouldn't even call this a, uh, a, a disagreement, I would say yes and rather than yes but. So yes and, even with Seat and Cupra, they're kind of trying to bring that Cupra brand and make it a more premium brand so that they can yeah. take Cupra into markets like Spain, markets like Italy, and put it up against that Alfa Romeo versus Seat being more up against the Fiat. Yeah, yeah. I love how Zachary unmuted himself to say, yeah, yeah. And then muted himself again. No, I just, I really, <laughs> I, I didn't want to interrupt you. I, I, I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to take over from you. I just, uh, I re really want to <laughs> emphasize that. Cause I think the Cupra, the Cupra born, uh, the EV that they're putting out looks amazing. looks really hot. And I think they're really, you know, it's not, they're not, they're not trying to entice people by this is the cheapest, littlest car you can buy. They're like, this is a wicked, badass car. You want this? Come get it. And I think uh, I think even with the ID four, ID three, that that are and the Skoda Enyaq, all of which sort of appeal to the budget cons consumer more. Even with all of them, they still have premium kind of design and features that you know it's, they they're trying to balance between you know hey, 
you could this is a cool this is a really cool ev and it's it's affordable but yeah i don't i, I can come back i mean i'll just say on in the u.s market the id4 is especially a very competitive vehicle because it's a lot cheaper than a tesla model y with similar kind of capabilities and and still the the tax credit is available the seven thousand five hundred dollar tax credit that's a really good point yeah. right because yeah. we still have that seven seventy five hundred tax credit and now there's three we've been saying now for a couple of years tesla has has gone past it general motors has gone past it and now toyota and i think what's wild about that is nissan introduced the leaf like in 2010 and i think they still get the tax credit right like they still haven't sold 200,000 of those things yeah, yeah poor niece <laughs> i don't know how this possible really you know why and again because we were just talking about it you know we were talking about that premium market and making these things attractive right in the united states a high mile per gallon compact hatchback has never sold well it doesn't matter who made it doesn't matter if it was like the Honda Fit or the Toyota, you know, the original uh, Yaris or Tercel, like those never sold well. The least, you know, I got into this with Ben the other day where, you know, in, in America, the least expensive model from Ford, Chevy, Honda, Toyota, Mercedes, you name it, that is not their best selling car. You do not have this you know, lower price equals higher demand equation balancing out here. And the Nissan Leaf has always been that. It's always been this kind of small, subcompact, high efficiency play. And, you know, it was in addition to those things, it was virtue signaling to, you know, people who kind of got it. But by the time it came out, you could virtue signal with a Tesla Model S or you could virtue signal with a Nissan Leaf. And if you could afford either one, it was kind of a no-brainer which one you were going to buy. Steve, do you want to jump in? I, I just, uh, having owned a Nissan Leaf and uh, actually thought it was a pretty nice car for the money, I just read recently that it's being phased out. Not right away, but in the next two or three years, it's just going to go away. Well, it's based on the Chatmo architecture, and that's not being supported anywhere. Yeah, and I helped my, my mom leased a leaf for a few years, and I agree. I mean, I thought it had actually phenomenal storage uh, space and drove nicely, had a nice interior. I, you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Joe, but it's also still, and I think Steve would agree with me, a little bit of mystery why the U.S. can't, can't accept, you know, efficient cars that serve all your needs and I mean, aren't, aren't we, giants we have... on wheels, but... But, you know, the European market does, you know, sell a lot more of those. I think still the point is that there's still a lot of room in the below Tesla market for, I mean, the, the highest selling vehicles, the RAV4, the Honda Accord, the Honda Civic, the, you know, the Camry, these vehicles, you know, they are not as expensive as a base Tesla anymore. And the the nice place where Volkswagen has been filling in there is that they have the ID4, which serves, you know, the needs of of many Americans, what a lot of Americans want while offering lower lower price. Still, they uh, I think eight percent of Volkswagen Group's BEV sales were in the U.S. I think sixty percent were in Europe. Or I have to double yeah double check. That's this. that's correct, Zach. Yeah, and and yeah, and then twenty nine percent in China, and basically China is where they were really struggling to get their BEV sales going, and they've got made some progress this year now, in the first half of this year. The U.S. market at eight percent, seventeen thousand vehicles, 
it's just hard to see it, you know, increasing much because all these automakers have only so much supply and they have to sell more in Europe and China. So U.S. is just like an afterthought. It's like, but still, you know, I'm, I've, I swear I'm seeing new ID4s all, you know, all, like every week here, every, every, I see a lot of new ones on the road here in Southwest Florida. And I think that's exciting just to see that it's filling that gap a little bit more. Maybe now we can jump into the Volkswagen model that we've all been waiting a decade for and is finally coming out, but it's coming out at a not very affordable price. I will let Joe start off with this one, but we're talking about the ID Buzz. Yeah, the ID Buzz is sort of the reborn, you know, type two bus that California camper van and you know, it, it's it's other than the Beetle, it's probably the most iconic VW to not just the boomers and Gen X, but like everybody, right? Like we all have seen a movie or a TV show where like the cool guy drives a VW van and he's like a surfer dude and he's like into it. So it, it's a really neat thing. And it's been kind of teased now for, I think, at least 10 years. I, I think the first article I wrote about it was like 2010. And that was a really long time ago, and it's just been teased and teased and teased, and it's finally here. But kind of as Zach alluded to, and and Steve mentioned earlier, this is this is not an a, an affordable everyman kind of ride, is it, Steve? And Steve can probably talk a little bit more to what made. I mean, I agree that the I that the original Volkswagen, but I think it's one of the most iconic vehicles of any brand. Like it's just one of the only vehicles that really stands out in cultural history and, and consciousness, I think. But Steve, you can maybe talk a little bit about what a, what was so appealing about that bus and what you think of that buzz in relation to that as well. Well, the appeal of the original Volkswagen bus was that it offered, it, uh, it was a rolling do-anything vehicle. You could, you could sleep in it, you could camp in it, you could go cross-country in it. It it had, I think originally it started with a 36 horsepower engine. It was painfully slow. It was, uh, uh, shifting it was like stirring porridge with a wooden spoon. It was, <laughs> it, it, had, it had absolutely no handling whatsoever. It had difficulty climbing hills. If you were going out west of Denver and trying to go up to the Eisenhower Pass, you, 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 everything would pass you, including uh, uh, diesel buses and, and semi-trailers. It was this not sounds- a very car this sounds amazing steve (laughs) (laughs) and but what it was it it for some reason captured the vibe of the woodstock moment it was it was the vehicle uh the peace love and and uh the age of aquarius vehicle for a lot of people it was really not a very good automobile but it was a heck of a of a social symbol I mean, all of that sounds awesome, but, you know, there's a question of what makes a car a good car, right? And and I I had this conversation with somebody fairly recently, you know, they found out through, through some twist and turn of conversation that I had owned three Lancias in my life, which is, for those of you in the U.S. who've never heard of it, it's like an Italian sort of sporty car brand. It's like, you know, Fiat is to... Lancia the way Buick is to Chevy. It's made by the same company. It's a little bit nicer, not quite as nice as a Ferrari or anything, but it's just like a little bit nicer. And they were just garbage cars. They would break down constantly. They would rust if you looked at them wrong. The, you know, I think the seats were made from sick cow leather. Like those, those cows were, they were not well cows. And they used silk thread 
to tie the leather seat. So if you drop down in them too hard, it would just immediately split because the silk would tear right through the leather. So again, horrible, horrible, crappy little cars. And I would buy another one in a minute because like all of the great stories and memories and weirdness that comes from having a car like that kind of, you know, endears it to you, right? Like as you get older, you don't think back and go, man, that thing was super efficient and got me where I needed to go. You think about the fun times that you had in it. And I think that some of that is what's driving that nostalgia for the bus. So we have a couple of issues with it. I mean, it is not a cheap vehicle. It seems like it could actually still be very appealing for people who bought the original. And then, you know, they've paired the release with like pictures of C- C-3PO and R2-D2. You know, they're, they're really pulling on our strings. <laughs> I don't, I'm rambling now, but I mean, basically they're nailing it, but it's just very expensive. <laughs> well, I mean, they are nailing it, but, you know, to your point, you are looking at that, you know, baby boomer generation and, and the elder millennials and Gen Xers who do have a little bit more income to buy this thing. You know, if I show this to my, my 20 year old college kid, he's not going to care, right? Like he didn't grow up in one. His dad didn't have one. He never went to the beach in one. I don't even know if he ever saw a movie with one of these things in it. And even if he did and he loved it, $40,000 is just as unobtainable to him as $70,000. So why not make it a premium product that's going to appeal to people? Why not make it something that is going to be rare, that is going to be special? And, you know, we talk about this being a $70,000 car. I mean, that's what the Volvo is. That's what the Model Y is. It, it's kind of right in that right in that mode. And if you look at it compared to a Model X, I think it's actually more affordable, isn't it? I'm not sure comparing it to the Model X is is, is a fair comparison. I don't. I, I, to me, they're not they're not uh, comparable at all. Really? I mean, I look at the Model X and I think it's a minivan, like a hundred percent. I in my little suburban jungle, that's who drives it. Soccer moms yeah, but- drive the Model X. But the X has way more range and power, so it's not really, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's like it's like probably double the range and power. So it's like, yeah. But Steve, go ahead. What what do you you must have been uh, must have some thoughts on all of this, uh, Mr. Hanley? Well, frankly, uh, unless there's something that I don't know, which is entirely possible, the ID Buzz is not all that different than the ID4, and why it costs twenty thousand dollars more is just a mystery to me. You're saying mechanically it's not all that different, but then there's the exactly. body and all that, and the. I mean, but you could make the same argument for any Audi versus Volkswagen. You know, mechanically, is there any real difference between an A6 or a Passat? No, not really. But the Audi is going to be twenty thousand dollars more. You know, we've been having this conversation since the Cadillac Cimarron, right? Well, you know, I will say one, I talked to a Volkswagen executive at a conference maybe five or six years ago about this vehicle. And I was, you know, expressing how much people were interested in it. And he was like, yeah, but how many people would buy it? And they were struggling at the board level and executive level with, okay, people like it a lot, but how many will buy it? And I think they have never really put a lot of faith into it being a mass mass market of vehicle a high seller and if you don't have you know high volume then you have higher costs because if you don't spread out the cost as much and i think that's a mistake personally but i also understand where they're coming from because yeah everybody can say oh i love that but who's gonna buy it i don't know and i don't know and in the u.s like as far as i understand it's not even going to be a dealer you're gonna have to order it which joe and i did a whole 
episode of clean tech talk on on custom ordering vehicles but still that's that's not really showing a lot of faith in uh consumer interest or you know or willingness to sell it at high volumes across seas or anywhere so i you know i i feel like it's a little bit of a victim of lack of faith in the in the idea but i don't really it's hard to understand that because you see how many people want it and you see the kind of interest in it that you see like for Tesla vehicles. You kind of, kind of have this extreme fandom that I think is very powerful and maybe not quite fully captured by Volkswagen Group. I mean, I, I don't do their market research, so I'm probably just being stupid. But at the same time, I see what I see and I see a lot of people who love who have been really interested in this vehicle. I, I think it is a challenge though because you know what is the how many of us know somebody who's interested in a couple of EVs who has a couple of deposits mm-hmm. out there? You know, they've got a deposit on a Cybertruck, mm-hmm. they've got a deposit on a Rivian, they also have a deposit on you know something else, and they're just kind of waiting to see which one comes out first, right? And then they just don't buy the other ones or whatever it is. I, I know two or three people that are in that boat. I might be. Yeah, no, that's very person. that's very accurate, and I see I see the same. Yeah. So, like, you know, let's say that there's a couple of people who put their deposit down on this. Is it a car that they're going to be able to get to market fast enough to kind of beat those F one fifty Lightning guys? But I, I don't know if it's the same buyer. I really don't. Steve, chime in in a minute. But I mean, I also think it comes down to which of these do you, do they want the most. And, you know, some people, it's going to be the Cybertruck, some the Rivian. I think there's a healthy number of people who would most want an ID Buzz if it was within their budget. You know, I I just, it's got that cultural history that nothing else has. They've nailed the futuristic design, meshing the, the future with the past, in my opinion. I, I mean, it is a bit limited on range. It doesn't have, it has... 258 miles of range the european wltp system so that's that's uh that's basically the standard range model three even the standard range model three i think has more now so it's pretty more, limited more but at what? the same time you don't i mean nobody's not that many buyers are going to go cross country with it you know they're they're going to drive it around town to the beach you know enjoy it as they you know enjoy their pretty laid-back life presumably a lot of the buyers <laughs> yeah Jack, uh, it'll Jack, be interesting uh, i wrote for years i wrote an article like every two months about oh the id buzz is coming the id buzz is coming this is a very exciting vehicle and they had oh my gosh they had the most wonderful pictures and people sitting with the doors open and the sunset behind them and the surfboards on the roof you know, half the people that are in woodstock are dead so i'm not sure that <laughs> Tell us more good news, Steve. <laughs> but it's true. I, I don't. I, I don't Steve, know. What do we say about going down that road? No, I'm just kidding. I, and I'm I'm part of that cohort, so I'm I'm especially uh, attuned to this. I don't. I don't think people today remember the Volkswagen bus the way uh, the people at Woodstock remembered it. The the uh, the, the the flower power and the smoking dope and then the, the running around half naked. I mean, we don't do that stuff anymore. I just, I know so I've said it before. I don't know. You know, I'm 40 and it, it has that pull. Like it is like, I want that vehicle. It has all of those elements that just like, Oh, I want this iconic vehicle, new version of it. 
And what I'm elements, sure Zach, I'm, what elements does it have? What tugs at your heartstrings with this vehicle? I don't know. There's just something about it. You're just like, wow, that is like uh that's the the iconic Volkswagen bus, but it's a new electric version. And I think that's a pretty, you know, I see a lot of younger people, not just people who lived with it, who have the same response to it. I mean, Joe, maybe. But is 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 the Volkswagen ID buzz the successor to the VW bus or is something like the canoe the real successor? Or that that thing that we talked about last week, Joe, that, that uh, the, the camper van, the, the, uh, I can't even remember the name. Oh, the it. little tiny one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember the name. of. Yeah, you know, something that's accessible because that was part of the of original appeal of the, of the first one was that like, if you had any kind of job, you could afford a VW bus, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't an, an especially pricey car in its day. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are two different things. I mean, there's that, you know, serving the practical low cost uh, market and there's the, you know, serving people who just want that, you know, that, that, that cool uh, cultural image. And I think, I mean, when it comes down to it, though, $70,000 for an EV with 250 miles of range, I think is going to mean pretty limited uh, sales. Like, I, I don't, you know, I think people are going to look at the compare range of different vehicles that they like at that price point, and it's not the best performing. Is but that, I don't know. That, that 250 miles of range, is that WLTP? Yes, yes. Well, then it's going to be under 200 EPA. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it depends, like those can, those are complicated now, but, but in any case, a real world highway range would not be great. It would be, you know, and you don't have a supercharger network, which is, you know, in the U S especially, but I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I think I've said my piece on it. I, <laughs> I, I'm obviously very interested in it, but I'll let you guys have any final words on that. And then maybe I, we can have some closing comments on the canoe. If you yeah want to close on that, that news too. If yeah, I, up, I think if that's it interesting. Up to me, I would bring the ID3 to America, but maybe I'm just totally out of the mainstream. I, I had I had hatchback cars for a number of years. I thought they were the greatest thing to, since sliced bread. I just love a hatchback. Americans won't buy them. I don't know why. <laughs> so Zach, I, I have one one last question in closing as we talk about the ID buzz before we move on to another topic. So you're interested in it. It tugs at your heartstrings. Are you going to buy one? It would be a serious uh, consideration uh, for when I've got a new vehicle. I mean, right now, you know, the supercharger network in the U.S. makes a Tesla that much more appealing. Tesla, yeah. you know, well, President Biden said we can all use the Tesla network now. Yeah, I just wrote about this that you know <laughs> that Tesla's apparently producing hardware to open up the network to more EVs uh, up in Buffalo. It's factory in Buffalo. White House mentioned in a press release, and they've been opening it up across uh, several countries in Europe. But but still, I mean, I, I would just have to, I'm not looking to sell my model to, to, to change from our the Model 3 we bought a few years ago to anything anytime soon. But if I, once I was on the market again, the ID Buzz would be one of a few EVs I would seriously consider. I would de- definitely, definitely would be in the running. I don't, I don't know if I would end up choosing it or not, but it would be definitely one of the options. There you go. Well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, if I suggested to my wife that we get rid of our Model Y and buy an ID Buzz, she'd probably divorce me. 
but I would also say at seventy four thousand dollars, I'm not buying it. It's like that's just, that's outside. I'm not buying a vehicle that expensive. So that that's that kills it unless they lower the cost somehow. But yeah, that's the problem. You mean they don't? Volkswagen's not going to send you a free one that you can. Well, you know, yeah, we should try for that. Like that? <laughs> yeah, why to- not? We need to we need to jump from you know three day reviews to one year reviews. Uh, the the worst they can say is no, right? Yeah, I'd be happy to test drive one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there he is. He's alive. There he comes. Yeah. Now he's ready to talk so, nice about it. All yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> so so I think let, let's wrap this okay. up. I you know I know that we're we're getting yeah. to the end of our our time contract here, so I want to wrap it up real quick. But I I do want to kind of plant the seed for a conversation next week. You know, Rivian and, or I'm sorry, not Rivian, Rivian and Amazon are well connected to each other. Walmart made big news last week when they ordered 4,500 of Canoe's little vans, but there was an SEC filing that came out after that, that said, uh, you know, Amazon is, has agreed to buy 61 million shares of Canoe common stock at 215 a share. It was an option to buy. And, uh, you know, now, right now, I think Canoe is trading at 467. So they're going to exercise that option to get a 50% discount there. And that's going to make Walmart a, uh, a major shareholder of Canoe. So the question is, and, and I think in the next couple of days, as we see this play out and we see, you know, the, the shares change hands and, and this kind of relationship get more formalized, the question is, is Walmart going after Rivian? Are they looking at it as, you know, Amazon has a car company. We need to have a car company too. Well, just to put a little tail on that, I read a piece this week that said that Warren Buffett had dumped all of his shares in BYD. Nobody knows why. Oh, well, he never wanted to be in there anyway. It was, it was Munger that convinced him, sort of tricked him into it. But anyway, that's a different story for a different day. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that, what, that news with Canoe. I've always thought Canoe is interesting, but there's so many of these EV startups that, you know, come and go, they have partnerships, they have big press releases, and then they disappear or they, they collapse. So yeah. it's always been like, okay, well, we'll see when you get to market. But this is the kind of news that is like, you know, sort of like, oh, yeah, so let's look more closely, because that is a big deal. I, I really like the connection you made with Amazon, Walmart, you know, trying to basically follow in its footsteps yeah we definitely talk more about canoe in a, in a future episode yeah i think we will talk about that we'll talk about waymo and zooks and i think the next one we want to talk about i think is cruise right because cruise is having they're having a tough month <laughs> pr wise <laughs> we'll just leave it at that in case gm's about to send us a car for a year <laughs> yeah any final thoughts steve i was just wondering when we're planning to have our next uh, get together as soon as, yeah, we, we, we yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Peace as out, people. <laughs> yes. We wanted, we wanted, we're going to do these weekly. We want to transition to doing twice a week, but uh, we need to first get, I think, on the ground with getting these out weekly to make sure that that's, um, that we can get more, uh, more frequent. We should also transition to making them about half hour shows instead of hour shows, but this is. Kind I mean, of I think by the time edition. we edit it down, It'll, we'll get to 40 minutes, right? Well, you can, you can start by deleting all of my comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is... Uh, no, no, see, you're, this, you're this the star, special, man. This is a special launch edition. Uh, double, the, double the time, yeah. All right, yeah, thank you, enough. guys. <laughs> Peace.
Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thank you.